0: solar bathroom renovations kitchen renovations anything like that head across to tradey.wiki forward slash pod for podcast tradie.wiki forward slash pod for podcast a book in a conversation it is game changing if you've ever one day wanted to sell your trade business you absolutely must listen to this podcast and to this series for three years I've been wanting to record this and I've finally found the right person for, this, for the topic. This is part two of the How to Sell Your Trades Business series. Episode one was called Valuing Your Trade Business where we learned about the entire valuation process and how to put a price, realistic price, on what your business is worth. This episode is called Preparing Your Trade Business for Sale in which we talk about some of the things you have to have in order in order for that acquisition to take place And in the following episode, we're going to be talking about selling your trade business. Guys, you're going to love this. Please head across to the Facebook community and join the conversation if you're not already in it. And if you see this come across social media, please give it a like and a share. Ciao. Today's podcast has been proudly brought to you by Trady Web Guys. Trady Web Guys work with tradespeople only on their websites and marketing solutions to help them stand out from their competition. Everything from web design through to seo search engine marketing content creation you name it guys it is a customized solution for trade-based organizations and it's fantastic head across to tradywebguyscomau forward slash apply fill in the form and let's have a conversation giving tradies and contractors around the globe the tools to run a modern business you're listening to toolbox talks from the site shed now here's your host matt jones Brandon Jacob, welcome back to the Sideshow Podcast.
1: Matt, how are you doing? Very
0: well. Um, and you're coming in today from downtown Houston. Yes, I am in Houston today. Lovely. I think um, part one, we were speaking to you, you were uh, in lovely Portland, Oregon. Yes, where it was cooler. <laughs> no, no kidding. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so um, we are back today for part two of the how to sell your trade business uh, podcast. Uh, for the listeners out there, if you guys want to um, watch Brandon and I talking here, you can head across to YouTube or the Facebook page, and uh, we're now a video podcast, so you can check that out if you want to see our beautiful faces. Um, for those of you that don't, I don't blame you. Um no. So, Brandon, this is the uh, part two, which is preparing your trade business for sale. In the first episode, we were talking about uh, valuing your trade business and what you need to understand. And the purpose, I suppose, of this entire series is, uh, I suppose, to uh, communicate to a lot of the listeners out there and viewers out there that it is possible to sell your business um, despite that whole mindset around, well, I am my business and it will never sell because I'm the magic. Um, And I think in the first episode, we did quite a good job of understanding what is important when we're talking about valuing your trade business. Um, Do you want to give us a bit of a recap on that episode uh, just for the guys that um, uh, just to refresh them?
1: Well, no doubt. I definitely want to reiterate um, what you just said, You know, no time has it ever been proven uh, that that these contracting businesses are absolutely sellable, right? And, um, it wasn't always the case. There were, uh, there was not as much activity in the, in the, in the buying as there is today. And, you know, we're seeing everything from, from the, the smallest of service contracting businesses to, to the largest having opportunities to actually sell. And, kind of reiterate what we talked about in valuations is kind of also a segue into preparing your your business to sell because preparing your business to sell is essentially building more value into your business, right? Right. And, you know, kind of, kind of, instead of maybe recapping the valuation piece, we might want to jump into that because there's a lot of parallels between valuing your business and understanding how to build value in your business does that make sense
0: yeah no totally no that makes sense so i mean anyway for the listeners out there if you didn't hear part one uh definitely go and check that out first because uh as jacob just said um this is this episode is designed to sort of segue into the previous so um make sure you go and check that one out um first and then hopefully this one will make a lot more sense
1: (laughs) well and and let me just set the background right when we're when we're valuing a business Matt, it, it doesn't matter if we're valuing a a service contracting business or you name it, any, any type of business, it's it's gonna come down to the ability for that business to uh, demonstrate earnings, right? right? I mean people ask me, you know, how do I really build value in my business? What's the most what's the mo- most important thing to a business valuation? And it's earnings. So you know as, as kind of going into it, You know, the ability for a business owner to demonstrate consistent and accurate earnings is not only the the key to a valuation, but it's also a key to preparing your business to sell.
0: So I'm curious when we're talking about earnings, right? Because I mean, you hear all these stories about, you know, companies, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm I'm talking about the rainbows and unicorns of, you know, all these tech companies and stuff that basically never make a dollar and sell for a billion.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: So, you know, when we're talking, I suppose, relative to contractors and trade businesses, um, is there a point where uh, when you're looking at the value of a business and you're looking at earnings that it may, there may be also other considerations apart from how much profit it's turning?
1: Well, definitely, and and I was kind of going to touch touch off on making your business more attractive as well, because there are certainly features that you know the, the earnings piece, while it's the most important thing that drives value, it's certainly not the most important, or it is uh, one of the most important things that's going to attract a buyer to your business. Does that make sense? So you can't just you can't just simply take 25 years of someone's life and say. Hey, it comes down to the last couple of years of earnings, although a lot of times it does come down to that, plus some additional features of the business, which if you want, I could kind of skip ahead and jump into.
0: Yeah, no, by all means. I mean, I'm happy for you
1: to for you to steer
0: the ship, so to speak.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's talk um let's let's talk first about just the concept of of the earnings and then we'll segue into the other pieces, but know making your business more attractive so many times we hear when we're talking about business valuations you know hey these service contracting businesses trade on a multiple the multiples between three and six times uh larger companies currently certainly have attracted higher uh, multiples i think we touched off on that in the uh in the uh the uh, podcast back in august you know yeah let's keep it real though right we're we're, we know that a $100 million air conditioning business is probably going to trade on a higher multiple than a $5 million uh, service contracting businesses. All, all things being equal. So, so will at,
0: that, when you say that though, is that, will it actually trade on a higher multiple or is it just the value, the turnover is higher, so the, the sale is actually higher? I mean, is it, is it still five times, four times, six times, but it's just a greater number?
1: No, 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 no. You definitely, when you get into when you get into the um, the 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 realm of of uh, of larger businesses, currently you could expect a higher multiple. Okay. And but but again, I want to be so careful because I don't want to set expectations on those one, two, three, ten million dollar a year businesses that are are going to listen to this podcast. Well, no, no. Okay? I mean, this is
0: general information. Everyone everyone knows that. But I was just curious, I suppose, for my own for for myself I was I mean I wasn't sure if you know a 100 million dollar business has a higher multiple than a 10 million dollar business
1: no and no no doubt and why why is that it's because of risk right i'm am am a i'm a 100 million dollar business yeah. and when a buyer comes in to look at a 100 million dollar business that 100 million dollar business is going to have layers and layers of management layers and layers of employees that go well beyond that of the owner and the risk of a which is somewhat counterintuitive to thinking, but, but purchasing a $100 million business is actually less risky than purchasing a $5 million business. So right. therefore, the, a higher multiple does make sense in that, in that case. Okay,
0: I'm with you. All right, thanks for clarifying that. Carry on. Okay.
1: <laughs> so so let, let's talk about it. You know, when, when someone says, hey, I want to prepare my business to sell, and they say, what could I do? I think a lot of times people think that there's things over and above operating their business at, at, at a profitable level. Let I me, mean, let me say this at a, at a consistent and accurate profitable level, but that is, that's the most important thing that someone could do. And as an example that i that I have written down, is let's take your, just a $4 million call in air, $4 million air conditioning business. And I'm able to produce 10% earnings on that, Um, on my $4 million, $400,000 of profits a year. And let's say someone offered me four and a half times earnings for my business. So my enterprise value before anything else is taken into consideration is $1.8 million. Take the same business that now applies items that they learn from your podcast, items that they learn from uh, industry associations, and, and they grow their earnings percentage keeping everything equal, $4 million, say to 12%, becomes $480,000, the same multiple, now my enterprise value is $2.2 million. So it's important to, to drive home that what can I do? If I'm preparing to sell my business, what can I do? And that's obviously to to grow my earnings um, through higher, higher percentage of profits uh, and be able to demonstrate that on a on an accurate and consistent level. Mm-hmm. Now I could also stay at 10% earnings and grow grow my overall earnings number by increased volume as well. Hopefully we do hopefully someone does both right because mm-hmm. demonstrating some growth in a business is is something that buyers do they do like to see. Yeah I'm with you okay. Okay.
0: So in that in that situation, um, is that normally, like would you sit there and look over, I mean, balance sheet, profit and loss statements, you know, track records, histories, forecasts, all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, no doubt. And And it's interesting that you bring up that point is people ask me all the time, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. Five years ago, we had a bad year. Four years ago, we had a bad year. You know, the reality of the situation is, Um, And it's always been this way that traditionally a buyer isn't going to look past the most recent three years plus what's going on in the current year to really formulate um, an opinion on whether or not it's the right business to acquire. Um, Will they in cases say, let me see the last 10 years of earnings. Let me see uh, the last year of profit, last 10 years of profits yeah but that's more um in, in in a trend analysis and seeing seeing where this business has come from, but from a from a pure let's put a value on this business let's see if we can attract a buyer um it's It's the most recent couple of years that are really going to count
0: yeah, that makes sense. I mean you can pretty much turn a business around in two to three years right
1: right and and it's funny because historically people have asked you know wow ten years ago i have had you know the business wasn't wasn't what it was today. And that, well, it doesn't really matter, good or bad, right? It's a different business today.
0: Well, I mean, um, and, and realistically, ten years is a long time, I suppose, for a business to be around today, isn't it? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of businesses. I mean, I don't even have ten years track record.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing that the businesses that I see, some are, uh, yeah, you know, not even not even fifteen years old. You're right, absolutely mm-hmm. right. Okay. But let me jump back and and make sure I, I touch on on the accurate and consistent piece of this because it's it's certainly easy for me to sit here and say you know hey I have high earnings okay great thanks Brandon but you know let's talk about some things that I see when I'm looking at income statements that I would like a business owner to address prior to saying my business is ready to go right and those are timing issues. What that uh, the, okay, timing issue, you know, a, a small a small air conditioning or plumbing business might not always have the luxury of having the most accurate financial statements at the end of a year. Um, sometimes it's done for tax planning. Sometimes it's done just because we don't close out the year properly. And certain expenses from this year fall into the next year. Revenue from this year falls into the next year. Um, not a clean cutoff of the year. They certainly don't have clean cutoffs month in, month in and month out. But that's not really that's not really a problem. That, that the issue. It could be a problem when you're analyzing your business. But from a standpoint of selling your business, from a standpoint of valuing your business, I want to be able to say the timing of my revenue and my expenses match that 12 month period, so that I could I could without any I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to avoid dips, right? Hey, what happened in 2017? Your revenues were down $200,000. Oh, that's because $100,000 at the year end went into 2000 and into the next year and we didn't record it this year. And, 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 and all those things, Matt, lead to explaining and all those things lead to uh, a, a buyer a lack of confidence, it, it, confidence if you will
0: does that correlate to scenarios where, for example, you know, you may withhold earnings until the following year to avoid getting moved into a different tax bracket or something like that?
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, unfortunately preparing your business to sell for millions of dollars, unfortunately means that the, 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 the tax game that some people like to play uh might have to be put on hold right because now we're trying to paint a picture and by playing games like that 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 certainly doesn't always paint the most accurate picture of my business
0: if you if you were going to acquire a company wouldn't like you looking at their ability to minimize tax be an attractive thing for you to see as an acquirer oh
1: boy that's a great question I, i um man i i have to be honest with you no one's ever no one's ever asked me that question. That's a great question. Um, a, a, again, I'm, I'd be happy. I'd be happy if my, if the business I was acquiring didn't have to pay a lot of taxes. As long as, without too much difficulty, I could go back and determine that they in fact do earn profits. Does, does that make sense?
0: Because I mean, if I was going to buy a company, and I've seen that they've been able to legally minimize their their taxable income or take their, you know, their tax repayments. To me, I'd be that would be an appealing thing because I'd know that I could do it looking forward, as long as it's above above board.
1: I, I, again, though, a lot of a lot of, and, and kind of a great segue into this. Um, a lot of business owners minimal, minimalize taxes by taking an excess salary, which is okay, right? I mean, hey, I I, I own this business. I take out three times what. Uh, what a what another person would work for a year and do this position. That's okay. That's minimal, minimalizing taxes in one way, I guess, because you're still paying taxes when you when you take it out in, in in payroll. And it's certainly okay for a business owner as he's preparing his business to sell to continue to pay himself a high salary because those are adjustments that are very easy for someone like myself to come in and say, Hey, you know what? Your business only does at the end of the year. It only does four percent net profits, uh, and 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 we know once we adjust your salary back in, it's actually ten percent. That's perfectly okay, you know. As long as as
0: it's justified.
1: And let's talk another another easy one that what I see all the time is I own the, the building outside of the business, right? And my service contracting business leases my building and a lot of times they lease it at a fair market or or, or well above fair market value hey that's fine if i want to do it if i want to do it that way there's nothing wrong with that just as long as when it comes time to uh, sell my business i understand that i could adjust the earnings and therefore increase my value in my business if i'm willing to lease to the buyer going forward at the at the at the amount at the adjusted amount does that make sense? Yeah, I will get you. I get you.
0: So is that what, is that like a is that a legal obligation in order to disclose that sort of thing? Cuz that's that makes a lot of sense what you just said then. And I'm wondering, you know, where does that leave you as somebody who's selling a business to somebody if you own the building, you have to disclose that, I suppose, right? Cuz they'd be like, "Hang on, you pay this much rent? That's crazy."
1: Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, I, it, I don't know if it's a legal. It's not a legal, but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna present my financial statements to a buyer, and they're gonna go, "Wow, your company makes no money." But wait a minute, I I take out twice the amount of rent that I I really should. So therefore, yes, you do want to disclose that to the buyer because he's go, again he's going to lease your building from you at something far less than what you currently took out it to, took out of your business, and and that's gonna certainly be able to drive your value when you make those adjustments. And so in preparing now, your business for sale,
0: like when you're looking at those numbers, so even though on the balance sheet, the profit and loss statement, you know, you're going to have your income and your profits are going to be considerably lower due to the fact that your rent is a lot higher, but you can adjust that looking forward. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be black and white off the profit and loss statement from your
1: perspective. It absolutely doesn't have to be black and white, except... Okay. Except in in, in one, one instance, Matt, 20, 20 something years ago when I started doing this, it seemed that um, business owners in our in our trade did a lot more of 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 tax management and expensing through their business businesses or business personal expenses, for lack of better terms. Okay. Uh, you name it, right? The, the vacations, the 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 you know gas gas for all family members and and, yeah. and 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 things at home and things like that. And you know it, again if we're going to prepare our business to re- really prepare our business to maximize the value and really find a buyer who's going to give me a real offer, I, I think you owe it to that buyer and you owe it to yourself to limit those kind of adjustments. Can we, does a buyer take those into consideration? Yes. But that means he's taking things into consideration. And for every one thing a buyer takes into consideration, that's one less thing he really wants to take into consideration. Does that make sense? I'm a, I'm a bigger proponent of eliminate those things. I
0: mean, it's a really common scenario here. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I'm sure this doesn't happen in America, but it certainly happens in Australia where, you know, like a builder, for example, will go and, you know, renovate his home and put half the material costs to jobs that they're running and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that that happens all the time. But what you're saying is if you're going to do that, you've got to be be able to disclose, you know, when, when, you, when you're trying to sell the company. I mean, I had a guy come to me not that long ago, actually, he wanted me to help him sell his company. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, Last year, I did put you know quarter of a million bucks through renovating my own home through the company, and I was like, oh, great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. Just just literally today, I somebody sent me an income statement, and they claimed that they that they they had forty five thousand dollars a year in in gas that wasn't business related. And if you did the math on forty five thousand dollars worth of gas at two fifty a gallon, it's like eighteen thousand gallons. <laughs> you know, my my Ford F-150 holds 25 gallons. That means I, he, if he owns a Ford F-150, he fills it up almost twice a day, right? Yeah, that's you know? right. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. And, and again, things like that are all explaining, right? I mean, yeah. there, there's reasonableness, and then there's unreasonableness. Not to beat a dead horse, but to kind of segue into something that can't be controlled. That it is certainly adjustments that as I'm preparing my business to sell, I want to understand because I want to make sure I make note of these are those one-time expenses, right? These aren't, these aren't personal expenses, Matt. These are, these are things that just come up. And, and again, the the example I always love to give is, is, is things like my building. If I had here in Houston, we just had massive floods last week. And, um, You know, people may have flooded. You know, the cost of recovering from a flood, and let's say it was twenty thousand dollars of flood cleanup. Well, hopefully that's not going to happen again. That's what we call a non-recurring expense, and it certainly can be added back into earnings for valuation purposes. You do not have to hold off selling your business if you have those. You don't have to worry about a buyer uh, blocking at those. Those are reality, and guess what? You're always going to have them. You know, there's not going to be Hundred a year. Let's hope there's not a hundred a year. Hundred a year. But you, you you get my point. So as we're as we're preparing our business to sell, we're managing that income statement accurately with, with proper timing issues and, and eliminating or categorizing and understanding those adjustments that are going to be made, needed to make to properly get to fair market value. Mm-hmm yeah okay um another another and, and it's a small thing somewhat of a thing i see all the time is the year in and year out changing of how i categorize expenses right i mean when i open three years of uh, someone's income statements I, you know what what i want to see are trends and each year oh computer expenses you know it's it's 10000 12000 15000 i get it there's a trend um if if I look at the same line computer expenses and this one year it was 10,000, one year it's 50,000. And then it goes back to 12. Now I want to know what was that, what was that uptick? Right. Why, you know, what happened in that year that it went up $50,000 and we could easily analyze three years of financial statements. If items are properly categorized, I'm with you. when, when answers come back, like, Oh, that year we put someone's salary into that line item. And then the next year we moved ah. it back. To- <laughs> and, and can you sell your business if you do this? Yes. Can you operate and manage your business properly if you keep doing this? Probably not. How, right. how, do, you, how do you accurately monitor what, what changes in your business? The, the, the best businesses I see, it's like clockwork. Year in, year out. The, 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 the expenses are booked to the same category, and and you could read you could read those income statements like a book.
0: So I, I guess really, like what I took out take out of that is as long as your as long as you're reconciling your expenses correctly, so that it can be justified. And and I mean what, that's a good example buying computers. I mean you don't need to buy computers every new, every year, but then every you know five years or something, you might have to spend money on upgrading the office computer so of course it's going to be a spike in in that chart of accounts so as long as you're mapping it correctly in a way that can be justified um then it makes it easier to
1: sell Uh, no no doubt no doubt And, and and think about this every you know for every dollar that you miss you know if you're if someone's paying you three four five seven times for your business that's that's that many dollars that you lose out and in, right. in that in that example as well, let's say with equipment or whatever,
0: I guess that would then go on to the business value as an asset, right? Because now you've got all, you know, you've got X amount of dollars worth of computer equipment which is being sold with the company.
1: Yeah, um, just as long as just as long as kind of going back to what we talked about the last time is when we when we value business on earnings and on a multiple of earnings, you know that enterprise value that we calculate takes into consideration all the assets in the business that are used to generate those earnings. So if I bought a computer um, and it was used in the business to generate the earnings, when I calculate the enterprise value, that computer is in, is included in the, the sale of the business. Now, right. what happens if I'm selling my business in June and in May, I just bought that brand new computer, right? You know, those are, those are one-off conversations that we would have. I, you can't plan this stuff, right? Right. You can't say
0: your computer uh, blows up. You need to buy a new one,
1: right? Or, 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 um, uh, a lot of times it's vehicles. My God, I just bought two new vehicles and I'm handing the buyer two new vehicles. Well, okay. But at the same token. He's valuing your business based on a continual business and you had to replenish um, vehicles at some point in time. Do I Would I recommend someone who's preparing to sell their business in you know, three months to go out and buy a brand new fleet of vehicles? Probably not. No. Uh, it, kind of jumping ahead here, that's, that's part of preparing your business for sale is continuing to replenish your assets so that you're a you're, you're, you're building a more attractive business and you don't get into the situation where, oh my God, I just bought four new vehicles and I'm going to hand them to somebody.
0: Yeah, okay. So I suppose just um, making sure that you're taking those things into consideration. You know, if you're looking at selling your business and, you know, you like the idea of upgrading your fleet of cars, but you don't need to, then maybe don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but again, but again, jumping ahead a little bit, at the same token, I can't expect to attract the right kind of buyer if I'm, you know, if my average age of my vehicles are you know, right. 10, year, 10 years old, right? But I mean, that, it's, that's it's certainly managing. going to be... It's managing it. A, right? it's, it's mitigating it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would just say that if I'm a business owner, and we could kind of sum up what we've talked about for the last couple of minutes... If I'm in the final 12, 24 months of preparing my business to sell, I want to run it like I I think I'm about to go under an an internal revenue service audit, right? (laughs) I want to keep those books as clean as possible. And if I'm extremely serious about this, consider having a CPA do a review on your your books. And maybe some uh, listeners might not know what's a review, is that an audit? No, a review is not an audit. A review, for lack of for lack of better terms, is a baby audit, right? There's there's reduced procedures. They don't cost as much money. They're not as intrusive as a full-blown audit, but it certainly provides the business owner a, a, a set of financial statements that are uh, certified as being quote unquote reviewed, and therefore a buyer can. Place greater reliance on them, and that's where in your review they're going to catch things like the timing of of certain certain things and make adjustments for the business owner. But and it's like... not ne- it, Matt. It's not necessary, but boy, it sure is a um, uh, something I would consider if I had uh, had had a business that I was preparing to sell.
0: It sounds like it's kind of a a pretty smart thing to do, anyway, to keep make sure things are kept in line.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, uh, it, uh, certainly, uh, it certainly is. Okay. Um, Where next? Okay. I, I was going to talk about now let's talk kind of, kind of leave the, 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 building value and the PNLs and, you know, what are other things to make my business more attractive? What can I focus on, um, as a business owner? And, and I, and I made a small list and I'll go over each one. None of these are listed in any any, you know, order. This is the number one thing that they're just kind of, I kind of made a list. Number one, work mix. And I am not going to sit here in front of um, your listeners and say, you have to have a 100% service and replacement residential work mix, right? Um, That's not, that's not a reasonable thing. Specifically when we start talking about some, uh, contractors that may be in smaller markets, right. You know, they're going to have some commercial work, maybe, uh, maybe some builder work where they're doing remodels or, um, uh, a a few custom homes a year. That's okay. We want to stay away from the new construction work because a buyer is just not going to value it. Right. And interesting. uh, I'm sorry. Yeah it's just unattractive. Um, I I don't mean to, if I'm a service and replacement business, you know, one, usually one of the first questions a buyer is going to ask is how much new construction do they do? Is that Um, wrong? yeah, Yeah. Wow. And, and it's always relevant to be able to categorize your work mixes. Hey, we might do some builder work, we might do some remodel. We might do some custom work. And that's really okay as long as the margins in that work holds up to the rest of your business. right? But the important thing is business owners, please be honest with yourselves because I've, I've gotten into situations where the conversation starts off as, oh, yeah, we're in 90, 90% service and replacement. We, we have just a few builders. We do a few custom homes a year. And then when it all boils down, that's like 15%. <laughs> of their annual volume, right? Huh. And it's, is it—is it a dishonest thing? No, I think it's just a, a, a lack of fully understanding your work mix. And again, I don't want to, because you may have people listening who do new construction and, and um, uh, maybe discouraged when I say this, so I don't want to be too heavy handed on it. But, you know, from where I sit and what I do, it certainly is a, 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 a service and replacement uh, type play that that attracts buyers.
0: It's interesting you say that because we, this is something that's recently. Um, so we've we've got a business development program for trade businesses called Trading Mate Pro, and, and one of the initial things that we do in that program is we look at the income streams of businesses uh, to ascertain where they're most profitable and where they're spending most of their time. And in a couple of cases with um, with people that are going through that program, we've Recommended and justifyingly that they cut their biggest income stream because it's just sucking up too much resource. And in, nine, in both cases, they were companies that do both residential maintenance and construction. And mm-hmm. the construction was taking up something like seventy percent of their time, and it was making them, you know, twenty percent of the money, kind of thing. You know, like and the, and, and,
1: and all the risk was in the new construction as well, right? Exactly right. There was so exp-
0: so much exposure. And yeah. said, well, look, you're going to reduce your overall income for the business, but your profits are going to increase by 80% or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what? So, and
1: imagine that do less work too, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, and then now, now to add to that, now we're going to sell the business. And guess what? No one's going to say, oh, yeah, I wish you kept that new construction work.
0: Yeah. Of course, um, it's circumstantial because there are, as you said before, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that are, you know, they're, 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 they're um, their niche or their vertical or whatever is construction. So I suppose we don't mean to dishearten those guys, but I mean, in that situation, would you be looking at, um, would you be looking at diversification within the construction space? Like, could it be, okay, well, they're working on this project, this project, this project, all their eggs aren't in this one basket?
1: Um, I'm not sure, repeat that if you (laughs) want to make sure I understand that.
0: So for guys that are doing project work or construction, is is a way to make that acquisition look more appealing through mitigating their uh, exposure through multiple projects or different types of construction projects with different builders or you know so if one falls over they don't collapse kind of scenario
1: I, man I, I, mean, I just got to take the high roads on that I, I don't know um, right I, I don't I don't really um, have not in a long time um, really dealt with predominantly new construction businesses. So, I I mean, you know, and this is, again, I I don't want to, I don't want to turn it into this, but I would say diversify into service and replacement, but guess what? Not everybody is into service and replacement business. So if you're making a, a, a decent living on doing new construction, so be it. It just, when it comes time to sell that business, what you and I are talking about today doesn't necessarily apply. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, next is next is management in place, and I kind of kind of roll my eyes a little bit when I hear people say this because they say it in, in a way that, oh, you you know to sell your business you have to have a management in place, and that's absolutely true, but it's somewhat insensitive into the fact that there's there's plenty of very good businesses that will sell that just aren't big enough that the, the hire a manager. Right? The buck stops with that business owner. However, that doesn't let the small business owner off the hook. They certainly can do things to lessen their role within that business. Okay. Does, so, th- does that make sense? Such um, as? Such as, you know, it, it would be not, it would not, I'd like to see, let, let's pick, let's take a $4 million business and a business, business owner, he's still in there every day, managing a business, making all the key decisions. I'd like to see somebody in that business that, um, that, that that's able to do something other than the guy in the warehouse, meaning there there can't be that big of a gap, right? Exactly. It can't, it can't be that big of a gap. Do you have a service manager? Yeah, I do. He may not be the strongest person in the world. He may not be a $150,000 a year manager, but I do have somebody in place that can, uh, and does, um, uh, carry on some responsibilities however that being said if I'm a business owner and I'm still active in the business still managing the business the, the kind of buyer that I'm going to attract is going to be different than the the kind of buyer that, than the then than if I have a 20 million dollar business and I'm able to um, uh, nurture you know a, a real organizational chart with real management and again where's the higher value getting back to the higher going right back to what we talked about earlier it's less risk i have management in place i could buy this business it's less risk i could pay more That four million dollar business the business when the business owner decides that he is is had enough and and retires and he will you know that's a that's a higher risk for me the buyer
0: right yeah no that makes sense
1: i don't
0: think a lot of times as well well in in my small experience with acquisitions, with companies I've worked for and colleagues and things like that, when they're buying companies, they typically will buy a company and plug in their management.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm currently currently involved in a transaction right now where I was pleasantly surprised that the buyer said the owner, who was willing to stay on but made it very clear that they they weren't interested in staying on for many, many years... They said we're going to plug in our own management, and they could they could leave after a short transition. So it, it's not again. There's no definites here, right? There's no if you don't have people if you don't have a management in place, you'll never sell your business. That's nonsense. However, you can sell your business for more, you will have a bigger business. You will make you'll sell if you could get management in place. And just while we're
0: on that topic, because it kind of. Um it's kind of a conversation that comes up a lot within our community and with our listeners and our clients and things like that. Um, <clears throat> having, having processes, detailed processes that uh, dictate how, um, tasks or roles or responsibilities are carried out for certain people within the company. Um, is that an attractive thing for a Somebody that, yeah. Okay.
1: So, yeah, no doubt. And, and I don't, I didn't list that out, but that certainly is right. If I'm able to sit down and say, Hey, here, here, here's why my business is operating at 13, 14, 15, 16% versus everybody else who's at 8% is because I have these procedures in place. And oh, yeah. by the way, we follow them, follow them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a, a more, more attractive and a more valuable business. No doubt.
0: So for all you guys out there, just recap on that. Like you hear me bang on about it all the time: systems, processes, standard operating procedures, whatever you want to call them, um, they are important. So,
1: <laughs> so make <laughs> sure you're
0: investing in that. If you ever want to sell your business, invest in it now.
1: But it, it's actually, it's actually, it's actually a twofold punch, right? One, I've got, I've got um, procedures in place, so I'm more, I'm, I have higher profits, right? right. So now I have. A higher valuation. And now I could say to the buyer, hey, by the way, this is what you're getting. You're getting procedures. Right. Now right. I'm making my business more attractive. So of the course. so the two kind of correlate with each other.
0: Well, I mean, once you've got those procedures, oh. the idea behind procedures is you can give them to somebody to follow, right? So if you've got a management team, and you're buying a business that's fully documented, then it's a no-brainer. No doubt. No doubt.
1: Absolutely. Uh the next one is is I'm going to combine it. <laughs> I have um, a well-branded business and a business with a good internet reputation. Yeah. If I go to somebody who's interested in a business and I'm representing that business and, you know, Hey, here's the name of it. The very first thing they're going to do, what's the very first thing you're going to do search. Be- be- before, before the phone calls over, they're going to the internet. Yeah, And, you know, it used once upon a time, um, you know, the reviews and what people were saying online wasn't something that, People could find it; it didn't exist. Well, yeah. Today, it does, and it, yeah. it matters. It matters today. For better it? or worse? Yeah, for better or worse, absolutely. And 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 you know, a a well branded business is somewhat. Um, I I I struggle with, you know, laying that out. What does that mean? It means when we present our business to a buyer, is this more than just a service contracting business? Yeah. Right. It's a little vague. It's a little vague, but. You get my point, yeah. you know. Is it is it is a consistent application of advertising of, of 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 vans of of the business's story? It it's a little bit it's a little bit fluff, but it's not because it's what we but it's what everybody preaches in the industry. Build your own brand.
0: Yeah, no, it's true, and there's there's a lot more to a brand than a logo. I can tell you.
1: Yeah, and and, and I'm not a branding expert, so I. I'll we'll have to rely on the on the branding expert, but somebody wants to see more more than just a more than just a a contracting business.
0: No, exactly. It's 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 rapport, it's trust, it's you know your your policies, it's what you believe in, it's the way you deliver your product. It's 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 a lot more than what you might perceive as a visual brand. I get no, it.
1: And now, uh, the next one I would, we kind of briefly talked on is updated assets. Um, you know, again, you know, as I'm growing a business, I'm continually replacing my vehicles. Thank God, we don't, there's not a lot of assets in in our in our service contracting businesses, right? It's not asset intensive. But as a buyer, I'm going to certainly expect that there is some semblance of a reasonable fleet. But I'm going to be careful when I say this, just because you know I don't think I've ever like witnessed a transaction that died because. There was a couple vehicles that were in not good shape, right? Yeah. So it's it's important, but you, you don't have to have every one of your ve- vehicles to be two years uh, old or younger. It, it, really? it, it means continually, continually upgrade that.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, like um, for a lot of the guys, I mean, a lot of a lot of contracting <laughs> businesses have a lot of equipment, right? Like it could be excavators, it could be. Um, like tools of various types, you know, technologies, all that kind of stuff. So assets can, assets is a pretty broad
1: term. Yeah, well, it includes, it includes everything. And when I say there's not a lot of assets in these business, I usually I usually think the air conditioning contractors, obviously, you know, plumber plumbers typically are have a little more assets. But you now at the end of the day, going back to our evaluation conversation, you know, I'm not coming in to buy, your business because I like all your trucks and your assets. I'm buying it right. based for the goodwill. And we talked about that last time yeah the, 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 the purchase price is a million dollars and you have $200,000 worth of assets. Well, the Delta, the $800,000, that's that's the amount of money I'm paying for goodwill. Gotcha. Blue, blue sky. Yep, yep. Okay. The very next thing, and it doesn't necessarily apply to um, our residential contracting friends, but I, I certainly have seen this with, with commercial. And, um, you know, there's, there's several, several good contractors out there. A lot of contractors out there that focus on commercial or have a piece of commercial work, um, in addition to their residential piece. And let me warn you about customer concentration, because that will also scare a buyer. severely, you know, if I'm, if I have two top customers and they contribute 20%. I'm just throwing these numbers out. It It could be even lower. It could be something lower, but you know, a significant amount of my annual volume is is attributed to, you know, one, two or three customers. That's a, that's a buyer's red flag. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was
0: alluding to with the, the, the commercial businesses. You know, if you can show that your incomes aren't so heavily dependent on one building company or two building companies or whatever, then that would mitigate in my opinion that you know the the risk of, risk of exposure
1: yeah no doubt no doubt and 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 unfortunately you see that um, all the time yeah, yeah. can you do all one more store for me could you and the next thing you know we're doing 10% of our revenue goes to one customer and that's a, that's a challenge and so and is, there a, the res-
0: is there I'm a sorry? number is there a number i mean i know in the past <clears throat> um, i've i've had guests on the show and i've read in books you know if you've got more than any more than twenty percent of your income coming through any one avenue, you're considered
1: exposed. Oh, I would, I would definitely think that's. I, I was, I was thinking if if, if I start approaching ten percent on one customer, and, but it's funny, it's funny about because it never works that way. It's never I've got one customer and they bring ten percent, and the next one is one percent. Okay, it's always. I've got one customer that brings 10% and the next one brings seven and the next one brings five and you add that together and wow, out of three customers, three bad situations and I lose whatever that math is, 23% of my revenue, Yeah, right? It never, it never comes in a, in a onesie. I, I will say this, I have seen contractors on the commercial side that would have their a customer concentration but each year the top customer changed, and that's not as dangerous if you will but still we're going to look at it as a whole and say can can we diversify because again let's talk about risk the more diversified we are the the less risky uh to a buyer and the less risky to us to ourselves when we run this business and and you know what like
0: that it does happen it's happened i've got a a colleague and a friend of mine um and i think that was the biggest problem this is going back it must have been five years maybe maybe further and he was in a situation where he was a plumber and he was he was making loads of money working for two builders three builders one of them um two of them more than the other and i was saying to him i go mate you are so heavily exposed right now and he's like what are you talking about i'm killing it and i was like Hey, look at all, Look where all your money's coming from. It's these two guys. He goes, yeah, but I've been working for them for years. And I, I think the biggest problem was that he was a friend and he just didn't want to listen. You know, like if I wasn't his friend and I was a, an advisor or whatever, he probably would have taken note. But um, seriously, within, within six months, um, he'd rung me and he said, you know that conversation we had over coffee? And I, like, yeah. <laughs> I, go, I go, I know what you're going to say. So he had one builder um, went into liquidation and the other builder took on a new um, plumbing contractor, and he literally lost like ninety percent of his business within within thirty days, yeah. and it was it was screwed. And I, I, I mean, I hate to say I told you so, but I, it, it just happens. Like it happens all the time. People get comfortable and they think, oh, we're doing really well, and it's a very very dangerous
1: place to be. in. Yeah, and I and I think that's partly the reason why buyers like the residential side because there is no customer concentration right my biggest exactly customer right life, exactly right $25,000 system or something and, and 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 that's the end of it right. um okay so so that's how i, I that, those are some things i can focus on oh, oh, oh one up one other thing and is somewhat relevant um it is my balance sheet right we talk about the income statement and we talk about multiples of earnings, and earnings, and earnings, and earnings, and expenses, but what about when I'm going to hand over my balance sheet, which is a snapshot of the condition of my business at a given point in time, right? My assets, my liabilities, and my equity. And to anybody who, you know, has read a few balance sheets, it, it really says, okay, this is what this business is really, this is what's really going on. And it, it tells me how much, how much working capital it might need and it's going to tell me where my problems are. Do I have extended AR? Do I have extended uh, vendor vendor payables? Do I have? And, and, and let's be careful when I say this: Is there debt that cannot be explained on this business? We're not talking about vehicle debt. You just bought two new vehicles. You're going to have a couple notes, and that's a okay. But you know, is there is there a three hundred thousand dollar line of credit on a two million dollar business? That's not the signs of a healthy operating business with the exception of if it's in the growth mode, does that make sense? You know, a young business might have some a line of credit because it's growing, but you know, I want a clean balance sheet. I want the, I want someone to sit back without asking any questions be able to say, ah, I see the assets of the business and I see the liabilities of the business and I know what to expect from this business. And what I see all the time is, inventory numbers on balance sheets, you know, $20,000. What do you think you really have? I really don't know. You know, does, does, does that number have to be a hundred percent accurate on your balance sheet? Not necessarily, but the same token, it's got to be somewhat realistic. You're, you're, you're AR, you can't, you can't go to a buyer and say here, here's all my crappy collections. Here's all the money I can't couldn't, couldn't collect. Now I want you to take it on um, the, the accounts receivable accounts oh, right. receivable. And, and, you know, as a, you know, let's hopefully, let's hope, let's be hopeful that we don't have a lot of AR in, in COD residential service replacement right. businesses, right. But, but we see it, yeah. but we see it.
0: That must be a, and, and over the last five, 10, 15 years, I imagine that especially for COD businesses, that's almost become null and void with technology, right? Like getting paid on sites almost. And thankfully common, common practice almost. Yeah. Oh my! Yeah, well, again,
1: again, you know, there's people with diversified work mixes, and typically you're going to see uh, some receivables on commercial accounts. Yeah, right. I mean, that's speaking more more in terms of that. I, you shouldn't have AR uh, accounts receivable if you're a residential service and replacement business. And 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 if you do, maybe maybe you're not ready to to take your business out to the market because you have some things to to address. Yeah.
0: I mean, I know a lot of those guys, they will have, you know, accounts receivable if they're doing work for, you know, strata organizations, real estate who They've got like a 30 day, 60 day billing cycle or something like that. But it's still, it's still, um, you know, residential replacement and residential maintenance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, I get what you're saying.
1: Okay. Okay. Um- in, uh, in my outline, I was going to kind of switch gears a little bit, which, which is, is kind of an area I like to talk about in, in terms of preparing your business to sell. And it's something that people don't always talk about. But having the experience that I have and, and kind of bouncing around for 25 years and doing this, it, it's talking about the owner's head. And, and, and never mind the business for a second, preparing your business. Let's prepare the owner's head. For, for what might what happen here because that sometimes, Matt, is, is the bigger challenge. I built an $11 million business, $12 million business, and it's kicking off, you know, 12%, 13% EBITDA earnings before interest, tax, and depreciation. People want to buy it, but I can't come to grips on what I think the value is or what I even want for my, for my business. And as a business owner, as I'm preparing my business to sell, I better start preparing my head to have a realistic expectations as to what my business is really worth. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: It's a very, very good point. I think people get, people get dangerously emotionally attached to their baby.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and listen, man, it's, it's okay to have high, high, high expectations, right? You know, here's the value of my business and I, and my expectations are higher. But that higher expectation, it can't be, uh, what's the term, a fluid, if you will. It can't, it can't uh, my, ba- my business is valued at a million dollars, and I really want 1.5. But if someone offered me 1.1, I would really want 1.8. It, it, it has to be, I understand my value, and this is what I need to sell. Or I'm not ready to take, I don't care how prepared my business is. Mm -hmm. You're not ready as a business owner to go through this process. And it's not an easy process. You're going to dangerously waste people's time if you go about trying to sell your business without having your head on straight about what your expectations are. Yeah. Yeah. And wasting people's time in this process can lead to, uh, you know it, it could it can lead to the next time around someone might not be interested in talking to you. It could lead to lawsuits if you got into into really negotiating really into a transaction you finally decide, you know what, this suddenly this 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 money's not enough. I want to get out. Well, you, you could find yourself in, in a bad situation. But again, that's I'm speaking more about professionally preparing your business professionally as a business owner, preparing yourself to understand what the value is and um, what it's going to take for me to actually sell my business. And so, I mean, on that, like how does one go about
0: becoming mentally fit for something like that? Like what's the, I mean, obviously, you, it's not your job to coach them in mindset. You know, how do they, where do they learn this
1: stuff? I, I actually believe it or not, I've developed a, a a program where someone like myself would go in and actually sit with an owner. And it's more about that piece of it, right? right? It's more about, yeah, let's talk about, let's never mind your business. Let's talk about you. Why do you, why, you know, and it really kind of starts with, or it does start with, why do you want to sell? Right. Because everybody's different, right? Mm. Everybody, you know, I've got a health problem. I am 75 years old. Um, I am, 58, and I want to go. I want to go do something else with my life. Everybody has a different situation, and if we understand individually, if we understand why that uh, that that uh, decision is being made, then we c- kind of formulate not only how to get how to get focused on actually making it happen, but also hey, if I if I am 75 and I've never worked for anybody in my life there's a damn good chance I probably don't want to sell my business and go to work for um, right. the person who buys it. Unless I have, unless again, nothing's hundred percent. Unless I have nothing, nothing else really to do. And and, and some people are not, some people do that. Right. Oh, yeah. But you, you get my point. If I, right. if I have decided to sell my business because it's time to go do something else, then, then, then we need to understand that. So when we go out to try to find buyers, We're not bringing buyers in that say, oh, the owner has to stick around. And there are those owners who absolutely will not buy a business unless the owner commits to staying around and even keeps some equity in the transaction, meaning some ownership of the business.
0: And it's fair enough as well. I mean, like, especially for like a, you know, a service-based business where so much of the the business is tied to an owner, you know, like it's a hard thing just to somebody come along and buy that and then lose that relationship, especially if you're dealing with, you know, real estate agents or even, you know, long-term existing clients, like you can't expect somebody to come in, buy it and pick up where it left off. So there's, I mean, I I would imagine it's pretty common to have like a transition period phasing them out of it.
1: Yeah. and, and, And if your listeners ask, you know, what's a common transition period, unfortunately so much of what we do here is a little bit vague because I'm again I'm working on one right now where it's the buyer suggested a a term that was very short and I I even said well wait a minute you're buying somebody who operated this business for 25 years they may want to actually transition a little bit longer to ensure their employees um, to ensure you are successful Usually, you don't get that. Usually, it's not they could leave sooner than later. It's usually when we get into bigger businesses, uh, private equity guys who, may, who are not going to step in to operate these businesses, right? They're just making investments into the business. They are absolutely going to say, we need you to stay. And again, we, we're, we're going to make the offer that we're going to buy 90% of the business and you, seller, you're going to retain 10%. And that certainly could be a great opportunity for someone, but you have to be honest with yourself. Right. If you're dying to get out of your business, does it, is it really fair to say, okay, I'll hold, I'll hold on to 10% equity and I'll work for you, Mr. Private equity. Yeah. It, it doesn't, doesn't. No, I like it. All
0: right. How are we going then?
1: Good. we got just a couple more things on preparing your business and then, uh, and then we could we could we could jump into the next set segment. A um, couple other things, Matt, that that sometimes get overlooked. We, we t- touched briefly on debt, right? Um, you know, let's let's as we're preparing our business to, to sell, let's watch our debt levels and understand our debt levels. In that um, nobody's no no business owner or no buyer is going to run away from a business because I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars worth of vehicle loans it's just common it's what we do in our in the the trades or equipment loans i i I am going to get a little bit concerned when i start seeing debt that probably has to do with a a working capital shortfall at some time in the in the in the the near history of the business that's going to be a little bit of a concern um would
0: that be something like a like an overdraft or
1: well, it, it could be they. They two years ago, a year ago, they they uh, had a had a rough off season and needed to take out a hundred thousand dollar line of credit to to make payroll. Okay. So again, it, it signifies that there's there was a working capital shortfall at some point in time. Yeah. Despite it all, okay. And now we prepared prepared our business. We have good earnings. Our, our balance sheets lean. We have a little bit of a vehicle debt on the balance sheet. It's perfectly okay. Let's just understand that when we go to sell our business, we've got to pay that debt off, right? Nobody, nobody's going to say, here is the enterprise value of your business, $2 million, and we're also going to take this $350,000 with a vehicle debt. They're going to word the, the, uh, the offering in that it's a debt-free transaction, meaning we're going to pay you $2 million, and you're gonna take the first hundred fifty thousand, and you're gonna pay off those vehicles in a right. transaction. Right, right. And you know, a lot of people, you know, get kind of caught. I can't have debt. Well, yeah, you can just understand that that that's the repercussion. And it's really a, a financial repercussion, not an, an emotional repercussion that might scare a, a buyer up.
0: And so that um, really ties into what you were saying before about balance sheet, right?
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Next, let's talk about service agreements, right? We, mm. you know, we, we love service agreements. They drive our business. Uh, you know, buyers are, you know, it's it's kind of a kind of a funny deal, man. We talk out of both sides of our mouth. We want them. They lock in our customers. We've got great opportunities. They've got X amount of service agreements. This is good. And then on, uh, on the other side of the mouth, hey, but we got to run these calls and it's a liability going forward because the business owner has already been paid. Okay.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. But that's a fine line, isn't it? Because then you look at a service agreement, you say, well, we've got, you know, we've got these, it's almost, is it almost considered like a recurring income stream?
1: Yeah. I, I, I upfront, Mr. Buyer, I have a business for you and it's a $6 million business and they have, I'm pulling numbers out of here, 1,500 service agreements. You will have to run these, you will have opportunities from these. This is a solid service agreement program, and it's an asset. And if you want to, if you want to penalize this company for this liability, then it's probably not you're not the right buyer because you don't see the 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 the, the asset that that the uh the, the service agreement is. Now, not every buyer is gonna agree, and that becomes somewhat of a, a problem unless. They came and offered you significantly more money, enterprise value, and then said, Hey, we got to pull some money back because now we got to run these service agreements. The bottom line is could still be okay. Right. Okay. So as I'm as I'm preparing my business to sell, I I like service agreements. Don't let, if you're listening, don't let what I'm saying about the liability thing rely on someone like myself who's going to set the stage for buyers, so we don't get into this conversation. Really? Right. So, but continue to sell those service agreements because they do mean recurring revenue. They do mean keeping your guys busy in the in the shoulder shoulder months. The one thing that we have to be a little bit careful about is when we get into, and I'm not seeing this as much as I, I a decade ago there was a little bit of a push on this. I sold a five-year service agreement, meaning I collected, you know, two years ago and I still have three years worth of services. It's a little bit of a different thing. Now as a buyer, I have to go out instead of maybe one or two times, I gotta go out six times. Right. Little bit a little bit of a different thing. It starts to become a little more like a like a liability. Yes. Um, I, I don't see this very often, but every once in a while you still see, you know, I, I accrue for equipment sales meaning if you're a service agreement customer of mine uh every year you get fifty dollars into a bucket uh that that you can use to buy new equipment you know it's it's things like these these what's the right term that help me use the right term here. arrangements uh... arrangements that that you owe somebody something the more of those that you have the more likely someone is going to say, uh, "I can't quantify. I don't, how much have you given away of these these credits?" Uh, you know, yeah. if we're not tracking it, if we're tracking it, we could quantify it. If we can't quantify it, now we could have some problems. And you know, if I'm preparing to sell my business, and 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 I'm I'm a big fan of a service agreement program. I'm a big fan of either it's either it's a monthly pay. Or yeah. it, it, it's an annual pay and it's a once a year deal and it's two visits and you can look anybody in the eye and say, no matter what, no matter what, in a year's time, you, you, you have no, no longer any obligation. So it, it really, no matter how bad it could be, it can't be that bad. And yeah. by the way, it's not bad. Does yeah. that make sense?
0: No, I'm totally with you. So if any of the listeners out there are considering service agreements, maybe just try and keep it to no longer than 12 months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, you could reach through the computer and slap me if you want, um, have a good service agreement program, but you know, if you're listening and you're a contractor and you know, you've got to do something with your business tomorrow and you just never have really built a strong service agreement program, your business is, has value and it is a sellable business. It, have you given up some value? Yes, you have, but there are people who to this day say you can't sell a service contracting business without service agreements, and that's that's not reality okay um, I, I, I have sold businesses that had less than spectacular service agreement programs, and uh, you know we've got it done. Well, I've
0: worked for companies who I've worked for a company that were, in the time I was there, he acquired three companies, and none of them had a service agreement.
1: Exactly right, exactly right. So again, so, but when he
0: acquired them, they did because that was one of the things. He's like, well now we can implement our service agreement into these organizations that didn't have it, so that's quite a, a, attractive.
1: right. the next and final thing for the for the segment on um, preparing your business warranties and uh, you know 20 something years 20 years ago, back when I first got into buying, I don't know it just didn't come up like nobody and then all of a sudden it,
0: it's because back it's then a, we used to build the last <laughs> now it's yeah. slapped together with duct tape
1: well now you know a lot of manufacturers there's no reason why somebody would offer an extended parts and equipment warranty that's not covered under some kind of program right but you still see it sometimes yeah and uh, just the other day, I saw a labor warranty where they covered it in-house, meaning, yeah, it's a five-year labor warranty and we're, we'll cover it. And, you know, as I'm operating my business, it might make economic sense that I don't buy an extended warranty or go to a third-party warranty company and I offer my customers. You have a problem. If I install your air conditioning system, for the, I'll, I'll cover the labor for the first five years. It may make economic sense. Because the... Uh, you might get back in parts and replacements and so... Certain- yeah, but be careful because somebody, a buyer is going, could quantify that to, to seem, like, <laughs> seem like the biggest risk in the world. And consider avoiding any kind of in-house warranties as you're preparing your business to sell. And if you have them, be able to track and show, no, this is this is the amount of exposure that we have each year we we spend $15,000 on labor uh, honoring those warranties and then then we could quantify it then we could say you know it's it's not as extreme of a, a liability
0: i mean it's not it's not uncommon for a contractor to have you know like a, a lifetime guarantee on workmanship well i mean, I mean you,
1: yeah if, but i mean but, especially to you know, here. I don't know. I don't know if I, you know, here. Not really. I mean, it's it's more, um, you know, the, the, the parts and equipment are under under a warranty, and and the labor, you know, it's it's a workmanship, not really a, a lifetime for,
0: you know. So I think what they're trying to do is, well, you know, in a lot of cases, remove buyer's remorse and say, well, look, if anything breaks and it's our fault, we'll come fix it. Of course we will. But if anything breaks and it's something to do with the. The, the product that we installed, then we'll have to go back to the manufacturer to get that warranty. We,
1: we might just be Mrs. semantics. I, I absolutely get what you're saying, right? And, you know, because, it, yeah, contractors are gonna stand behind their, their work, whether or not they have a warranty or not, right? It's that it's that written contract, you, the homeowner, if you have any, any problem with the air conditioning for five, 10 years after I installed it, I'll come out, labor's free, that's a liability. I better be able to quantify that, or I better not have it, or buyer buyer could make an issue of it. And again, that that's another thing, kind of kind of wrap up the the preparing your business for sale. Each one of these points I talked about, you know, wow, I just sold my business, Brandon, and and nobody ever said a word about this. Well, but the the next time the next person will say that was the big issue, right? So what we want to do is try to avoid. Or, or address all the things that I've seen over the 25 years of being uh being in, in mergers and acquisition and in the contracting trades is what are the big things that could be a problem? Um and, and let's be happy when when those things are that we identify uh don't become big problems. Does that make
0: sense? No, completely. It's 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 trying to foresee potential hazards or potential exposures, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: yeah No, I totally get it. Oh.
1: Final, final, final thing on on you know preparing your business. It, it, it really, it really is seventy five percent financial related. I mean, it's really seventy you know balance sheet, income statement, earnings. You know, the the other twenty five percent is 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 um, you know building an attractive business. Um, and whether you're a, a one million dollar business or or a hundred million dollar business, other than Really managing that 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 multiple layers of management is really really the same. It's really the same thing. Yeah, it's I, I mean it, it it's the same steps. Yeah, and I suppose one, they
0: fuel each other, don't they? I mean, when you look at when you look at a business that's turning more money, typically they've got management, they've got processes, they're able to they they have the ability to scale because they have things in place. So, it's kind of like. To, yeah. If, if you want to make it attractive to a buyer, then, you know, there are things that you can implement, which can then help your profit increase, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's absolutely, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't monumentally increase the volume or the value of your business by painting the warehouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Great, man. This has been a fantastic episode. This is going to the listeners are going to love this one, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? That was Absolutely.
0: Good. So, um, so we're going to come back. So that was the second part for for you uh, listeners and viewers out there. That was part two of the how to sell your trade business with uh, Brandon Jacob from Contractors Financial Opportunity.
1: Is that right? Could I could I plug my new website, Matt? Absolutely. Just uh, got a new web same 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 address but new website contractorcfo.com. Yep, check it out. Okay. reach out to me, say hello. I guess I got a good download. Actually, I got a download of uh, of, uh, of my first book for what it's worth. That uh, that if you uh, trade me some information, you could certainly download that off the internet.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I think that was what we were going to do, wasn't it? We were going to put that on the um, we we're going to leave that as a as a lead magnet for the guys out there. So if you want to get hold of Brandon's book, um, you can just just head across to the show notes uh, and you'll see where yeah, how to get them. I'll I'll forward you on to the right place where you can get his book and um and reach out to Brandon. Reach out to Brandon um, through those forms. Sound Matt, good.
1: Also, also, if you don't mind me saying, um, just because somebody contacts me and asks a question it, it doesn't mean they're selling their business and over the years i've maybe felt like there might be a reluctance to say hey i'm a three million dollar contractor in topeka and i'm thinking about doing something Can i ask you three questions i'll be here in three years uh to help you um but if you have a question today i mean this, this is what we just talked about preparing your business and a 10 to 15 minute conversation could change someone's life. Right. And, you know, re- don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, you know, it's important to say I am a certified public accountant and confidentiality, confidentiality is a big thing. And, you know, so many people are concerned about their intent, you know, even before they start the process of selling their business, just their intent of having a conversation with someone who's in the, in the industry like me. And you know, I just want to say conversations that I have with people like, like, I hold as you know the strictest of, of, of confidence. I mean, it's 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 your life that you're sharing and and important things. And you know, I certainly you know I get no value, nor would I ever you know repeat that information to anybody. Yeah,
0: cool, <clears throat> love it. All right, well, um, that wraps up this episode. So, Brandon, thank you very much for your time. We're going to come back uh, in the following episode and record the third and final um, episode of this series which is going to be called selling your trade business. So episode one was valuing your trade business and understanding well, what you need to understand. Episode two, which is what we're just wrapping up now, is preparing your trade business for sale. And then we're going to come back with part three, which is the nail in the coffin, the uh, selling your trade business. So uh, Brandon, thank you very much. And uh, You're welcome. We'll come back shortly with the next um, episode. And for our listeners, uh, if you've got any questions or if you need any clarification on that, by all means, jump on into the community and ask those questions. Um, And I will endeavor to get Brandon back on the show to answer those. Uh, And all of the links to his books and things like that are going to be available through the show notes. So make sure you head across there and check them out. Uh, That is a
1: wrap. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of toolbox talks. If you're liking what you hear, then you can head across to the where you can join our community by signing up to our Toolbox Talks, uh, you'll get sent a weekly notification, which is basically a highlight of everything that we've spoken about during that week, along with any other industry news that may be relevant or specific to the trades. If you're enjoying the show, you can head across to iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud, where you can leave us a review. Uh, That would be fantastic and all the reviews get read out in the show. Uh, Likewise, if you have any friends or colleagues that you think would benefit from the show and the, the episodes that we create, then please go ahead and share it with them. please head across to tradey.wiki forward slash pod for podcasts. It's tradeywiki forward slash pod for podcasts. It will be well worth the conversation. And I can't wait to chat with you. Ciao.